for the next four weeks, we're stepping out of our study in the book of Hebrews, and we are doing this new series, little short series called All Life Long. It's a series on marriage. Now, to give you a little look into my life, to be transparent with you, when we go to do a series on marriage, it's almost a bit overwhelming to me. I, 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 this is not my first rodeo. We've done this. Uh, I, I've been in ministry 40 years. We've had lots of folk that we've talked to, lots of couples that we've talked to, that we've counseled, all this type of thing. And, and here I've got, let's see, 34 minutes, four times, to deal with marriages. Right? It's like... Like, where do you go? And the funny thing is, because this isn't my first rodeo, I know that the people who maybe need to hear most the things that God laid upon my heart to say are the ones who will be most resistant to it because they're sitting there with this idea that, Steve, you don't understand. And the reason I don't understand in their mind is because they say, you don't have my spouse. You've got a great spouse. And they're right. I do. I, I, I above all men, have been blessed with, with the most wonderful woman in the world. I get that. I'm thankful for it every day. I do not wish that God would change that so I could be empathetic with you, right? I, I'm good with where I'm at. But in the same token, what, what I'm trying to share are not my ideas, they're God's, and they just kind of work everywhere, right? And so, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take the four biggest issue areas of marriage, and, and obviously just kind of at some surface stuff, but today we're going to talk about communication. Next week we're going to talk about money. The week after that, we're going to talk about family. And the fourth week, we're going to talk about intimacy. And we're going to try to dive into just some simple truths that I hope will give you some help. But here's the thing. There's lots of help out there. So one of the things that's going to happen this month, if you follow us on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, get our weekly newsletter, we will be putting out throughout the week other resources. So this week they will all kind of deal with how do you help build communication, right? So look for those resources. They're good. Uh, They're there. We really encourage you to do that. Also, as a church, and you all know I'm not a counselor, but I will meet with any couple. I, I, I all of our staff will. We have a wonderful ministry here called Marriage Mentoring that puts a, a, a couple who's been married for, for a long time. They've been through training with the idea of love and respect, which is a wonderful resource, by the way. If you've not read that book for your marriage, they will walk with you through life's journeys and, and, and help your relationship. We've also, a Trevor in February will be starting a new uh, Bible study class here on Sunday morning for young families dealing with family issues. We want to be of help to you. There's lots of resource. Um, but having said all that, let me preface everything I'm going to do over the next four weeks with, with four things or five things. 
that I believe. Just so you know where I'm coming from. You understand my perspective. Number one, I believe that marriage is hard. The reason is, is we live in a fallen world. We're all fallen, right? One of the biggest things that we struggle with is selfishness. And if you say you don't, eh, you need to look harder in self-examination. And so it's tough. And it is harder for others, right? Some, it is, why? Well, as I told you, I, I have a wonderful spouse. Uh, but I understand that sometimes we get infatuated with that wonderful thing that opposites attract. Have you ever heard that, right? And it does. And you find that person who's almost that polar opposite and it's so cute because they, uh, until you marry them, you've got to live with them, Right? In fact, I I have a theory. I may write a book someday. Most of you know my story that uh, my first wife passed away. And and I've just watched this because I saw it happen to me. (laughs) And so I've watched it and I see it as a trend that people who were in a really good marriage who lose a spouse and then remarry tend not to marry somebody like their old spouse but somebody who's more like them. How's that for a theory? Because Tammy's way more like me than Pam was, so we had a great marriage. But it's just you find sometimes it's a little easier to live with somebody who likes to roll the toilet paper the way you do, right? Or squeeze the toothpaste, right? It, it just, it's easier. So it's hard. Number two is that I believe God's word is true. Absolutely 100%. And that he's the one who both best understands how life works, how our hearts were created. And so if you do it his way, you're always going to have a better outcome. Folk, we, we've got, we're living in a world right now that is trying to figure out every which way but Friday of how to do life that's not God's way and is failing miserably. In fact, what did I just see? Um, It was a very interesting statistic. Between 25 and 40, deaths have spiked the last three years. Did you see that? And it's not due to COVID. It's due to a lot of other stuff because we're not coping with life well. We're not doing it God's way. With that, I believe that Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 to 25 is the divine picture of what marriage can be, what God designed it to be, And honestly, what he created our hearts to want. So we're going to reference that a lot in this study. If you're not familiar with it, let me give it to you. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now let me start with this. I don't believe that a man completes a woman or a woman a man. I think that we need to be complete in Christ. And that God calls some people to singleness. But for those who come together in marriage, the ideal is is that because God has always existed in community with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is a oneness between the two. I love that expression that they are both naked and not ashamed. So they're fully revealed, fully known, and yet fully loved. And I think that's what our heart aches for. Because that's what God put in our heart. And so 
fourth thing is, is that I believe that as much as you need to work at your marriage, actually, it's not the primary thing you need to work on. The primary thing you need to work on is you, following Jesus, becoming more like Christ. Because you can work on your marriage a whole lot, but if you're not following after Jesus, there are going to be problems. And, and if you're in a situation where your spouse doesn't want to work on your marriage, there's not going to be a whole lot because it kind of takes two to tango. But if you will become more like Jesus, you will become a better spouse. You will become a better husband. You will become a better wife. You will become a better parent. The more I become like Jesus, the better husband I am to Tammy. That needs to be our primary focus. And with that as the background, let me give you number five. I believe that most failing marriages can be made healthy. Maybe you're here and you're in a failing marriage. You have no hope left. Well, I got hope for you, right? I am what I refer to as an optimistic realist. I know it's bad. I know it's bleak. But I believe with all my heart that if you'll follow Jesus with all your heart, and your spouse will follow Jesus with all their heart, he is a God of redemption. And he's a God that can change things and change things in ways that you can't see here today. Now, the thing is, you can't make your spouse follow Jesus, can you? Let's go back to the last one. You. Focus is you. You do what God has called you to do. You follow Jesus with all your heart. It'll make an incredible change. So the passage that we're going to look at today for communication, there are three words that I want to get out of this passage. They all start with the letter I. So let's, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with, uh, with he, the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is a word which is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. So, integrity. His first point here is simply this. Be truthful. Be honest. No precess, pretense. No deception. Now, what's hard is we live in a society and a culture that actually leads us to being okay with the little white lies. It leads us to a point of, of accepting the fact that we don't always tell the truth and it's kind of made it kind of made it normal. And you say, well, where? Okay, well, you download an app and put it on your phone. And when you go to load it, there's a little box there that says, I have read and understand the terms and agreement by which I accept this. Now, i to be honest with you. When, when you know, smartphones started coming, I am a little bit of a stickler in my head. I, I, little, I have a little OCD, so I'm thinking I haven't read it. I sat down to read the first one. I got through the first six pages. I didn't have a clue of what I'd read. And then, look, I still had like 12 pages to go. I just went back and clicked the dumb thing, right? 
right? Don't you do that, right? Let's, come on, no white lies, right? But that's how our society, you know, you, you travel anymore. You go to the airport. You got to check off this, you know, thing. I haven't been around anybody who sneezed in the last month or something like that. I don't know. I just want to travel, right? I got a plane ticket. I'm going to go on the plane. That's what our culture has done to us. And so now this idea that it begins to happen in our relationships, that we can fudge the truth. And yet he says, listen, you got to speak the truth if you speak it with your neighbor, you've got to speak it to your spouse. Why? Because trust is foundational to any healthy relationship. If you don't have trust, you don't have a healthy relationship. One of the things I found out early on in life, as I was getting out of high school, starting work, dealing with people, is I can deal with people of almost any type of personality. Some will drive me crazy, but I can deal with them, right? I, I can understand them. I can process. They can see the world completely differently. I have no problem. The person I can't deal with is the person who doesn't tell the truth. Because now we're not working from the same sphere of reality. The person who says, yeah, this happens, and then you go check it out, and it didn't happen. Or the person who says, I'll do this, but they have no tension of doing it. That's why in our home, as Tammy and I raised our kids. You know, kids are kids, right? Just because they're in a pastor's home uh, doesn't make them immune from the fact of being disobedient, of uh, not following through. Uh, and so when you, you come to those moments of discipline, there's, you know, you, there's discipline, there's grace, there's all that. Except in our home, when it came to lying. You lie, there's no grace. And the punishment is always the extreme. Because anything that happens here in life, I can deal with this, but you don't tell me the truth. Now we're not dealing with the same reality. Folks, trust is foundational to every healthy relationship. Telling the truth. Speaking, speaking the truth. Being honest. And in those moments when you've given your word and something happens that you can't keep your word, then than to be intentional of going and letting them know and explaining why and apologizing, right? We got to live in truth. And in this whole idea, this idea of not keeping secrets. And again, we live in a culture that has built us to have secrets. Because you can't get on my phone without my password. You can't go see my history without a password. You can't go and see what, what, what I've done without a password. And so we have all of these secrets that are built into our life. And let me just tell you, if you are holding secrets from your spouse, which some of you are, your relationship is in trouble. The goal, one, to be naked and unashamed. Fully known, fully revealed, fully loved. And that's what, and honestly, that's what's going on in a lot of marriages. They're struggling. There's secrets. There's pornography. It's a secret. There's gambling. It's a secret. There's a credit card the other spouse doesn't know about. There's spending. It's a secret. And here's the thing about secrets. They're not all sin, but the ones that are sin are going to create a huge problem. 
Because first of all, the Bible says it's kind of a, you can call it Christian karma, you can call it what, I'm going to call it a biblical truth. Be sure your sin will find you out. And you know why your sin will find you out? Is that sin will make you stupid. My dad used to call it spiritual, or, or um, Sin, intoxication of sin. That was his expression. We're going to talk about this Hebrews 6. This is the heart of Hebrews 6. But if you're old in the secret, and the secret is sin, is going to change the way you think. You can't compartmentalize your life like that. It just doesn't work. That's not how you were made. It's not how you were designed. It begins to bleed itself over, and it's going to come out. The other thing is, if the secret is not sin, but maybe it's just... You know, there's some discontent here in my heart, in my marriage, my job. And you keep those secrets. And the enemy understands and he begins to flood your mind with lies. It'll end up destroying your relationship. Say, Steve, that's a hard conversation. Yeah, it's a hard conversation. But to be fully known, one, that's what we're called to. Live in truth, live in honesty, live in transparency. It's the pathway to communication. The reality is, from those of you watching online to those of you in your room, some of you are holding secrets. And the first thing you need to do to start a pathway to making your marriage what God intended to be is sit down and have a hard conversation and bring things to light. You say, Steve, that's scary. Yes, it's scary. They may not respond well. Let me tell you, they're probably not. Would you? But you're never going to be able to move on until you deal with this. Now, let me give you one little warning. If you do that, I can almost guarantee this is what's going to happen. Number one, you're going to get it out in the open. It's truthfully, you know what it is right now. You're, you're processing as I speak. Why? Because it's there. You're not comfortable with it. It's been tearing you apart on the inside because you're living a duplicitous life, and God didn't make us that way. So when you get it out you're going to feel a huge sense of relief. Your spouse is going to feel, though, not relief. They're going to feel like they just got hit and run over by a Mack truck. And you've got to understand that even though this is the right thing to do, it's the thing towards health to do, that just, you know, just because they can't shake it off and forget it and move on, it's going to take them some time, and you need to give them that grace to be able to do that. So the first thing is integrity. The second thing is intention. It's verse 26, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. One of the best pictures of a marriage that I ever was shared with me, and I love it, is the picture of a garden. It's, it's got to be tended right? You've got to take care of it. You've got to pick the weeds as they come. You've got you to tow it. You've got to give it time. And if you don't intentionally intend to your relationship, it's going to grow weeds. It's going to become overwhelmed. I, I, I'm not a gardener, so that's not my thing. 
But if I had a garden, my hope is it would look like this. By the way, I, when, I, when I Googled that, I thought I wanted, I wanted a vegetable garden. So actually, all those are vegetables. They could all be edible. You get the sense that not only color and where things are, and there's so, somebody's given that some time, right? So in our house, my middle son... Uh, who moved back in a couple years ago from when he moved back from Reno. He loves gardening. In fact, when we built our house nine years ago, he wanted us to put in gardens. And so he's been back. He's, he's been gardening. Man, we're getting lots of great stuff, kale and all this kind of, I don't feel like kale, uh, good, man, lots, lots of good stuff, cucumbers and all that kind of thing, and little tomatoes and all of this. But this fall, he is finishing up his MBA. In fact, he just finished it. Not that long ago. And so it's been that push. Now, please don't tell him. He doesn't know I did this. I'm not trying to shame him. But I walked out this past week. I took a picture of our garden. (laughs) Now, you have to understand, this thing has produced a lot of good stuff. But you just give it a little time without tending to it. This is what you get. So I got to ask you the question. What kind of relationship do you want to have? Do you want it to look like this, or you want it to look like that? And the reality is there's a boatload of people who that is what the relationship looks like, and they keep thinking that, well, somehow, some way, just magically it's going to get better, or the other person will wake up and that'll make it better. Listen, you got to tend to the garden, and that's the heart of what he's saying here. Be angry, not sin. What does it mean to, this idea of being angry, well, it means in those moments when, when we're disappointed, in those moments when we got issues, we got to talk about them, yet without sin, not with aggression, not abusive, not with violence, that's sin. But sit down and have the hard conversations to be able to talk about those things that are going on, that, hey, in my heart, I'm sensing this, this discontent. That's a hard conversation to have with the spouse. But don't bury it. See, here's the thing. When there's love, there's great emotion. And so when there's love, someplace along the line, you're going to do something, your spouse is going to do something, you're going to hack each other off. All right? Be angry. But don't do it with sin, right? Not abusive. Not aggressive, not violence, not with vengeance. But step into it. Understand it. The worst thing you can do is bury it. Because in burying it, now, now I have to understand, and this, this is true. Some of you say, well, Steve, you know, you're you. And, and I am. I, I am a confronter. I come from a long list of family. I mean, we we get together for meals, and we are the elephant hunters, right? Find the elephant in the room. Let's drag it out for everybody to see. Let's shoot it. Let's work it. If we can't find an elephant, we'll we'll go someplace else and bring somebody else's elephant, right? That's us, all right? I get that. And some of you aren't like that. Some of you are more, no, let's tiptoe around the elephant. But here's the problem. When you bury the anger, it doesn't go away. It, it bubbles, it percolates, it, it stews in your soul. I've shared with this with you before, but it's so sad to me. So I've had two dear, dear friends, couple friends, 
uh, one, they were youth sponsors with me for seven years. Some of my best youth sponsors. Married 15 years. Three kids. Their marriage blows up. As I sat down and talked to them each separately, now again, they're not in the same room, they don't know what the other person has said, I was just stunned. Because both of them, in telling me what's going on in their relationship, went back to a story that happened the first week they were married. 15 years. Stute. It blew up. By the grace of God, they got help. They were committed to their marriage. They ended up doing great and, and getting back together. The other couple uh, married 15 years. Five kids in ministry. It blew up. I sat down and talked with them. Again, they have no idea what the other person is telling me. They both went to the same exact story that happened two months before they got married. Focus, it's not healthy. We, we got to be angry, but don't, don't do it with sin. We, we want this idea of being naked and not ashamed. We have to be able to share our heart. We have to have those difficult conversations so how do we do that? Well, you've got to prioritize it, right? This is tending to the garden. Where is our time to, to, to meet and talk every day? You know, especially you think of most couples that get married and a few years later have kids. And it's always told young marriage, your life will never change more in 24 hours than when the two of you go to the hospital, the three of you come home, and usually within a week you can't even remember what it was like just being two of you, Right? Because those little ones, man, they're great, they're wonderful, but they take a lot of time, they take a lot of attention, they take a lot of focus, right? Nothing wrong with that. But this has got to be tended to so weeds don't grow. So when are we setting up time every date where we're connecting? Where do we send time where every week we're having some special time together? When are we getting away and we're tending to our relationship because we want it to be what's honoring to the Lord? i got to hurry here just a little bit. Look at verse 28, though. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. You say, well, how does that deal with relationships? Well, here's the thing, folk. You know why most everybody gets married? And I probably was guilty of this, too. Because I want to be happy. Have you ever thought about what you just did? You just put this other person in charge of your happiness, and it's all on them, and they did it to you. Guess what? You just set them up to fail. They set you up to fail. It's amazing. More marriages don't crash and burn. Remember what we said in those things, I believe, the most important thing, more than working on your relationship, is that you become like Christ? How about the most important thing in our life is that we become more like Jesus, right? And so now this person is there on that journey with me to help me in my journey, and I'm here to help them on their journey. Oh, by the way, I think when you find that, you're going to find a lot of happiness. And so what we've got to do then is so we go into marriage as takers, right? 
the thief. I, I need you to make me happy. I need you to make me happy. And what we got to do is say, no, 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 no. I need to be a giver in here. I'm becoming like Christ. So Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. He came to minister to us. So now my marriage isn't about making me happy, but this is about me helping my spouse become more like Jesus. What can I bring to the table? Let him who steals, steal no more, but rather let him labor. Communicating love to your spouse by serving them. By caring more about their needs, their concerns, their hurts than your own. The third one is inspiration. It's verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, communication is powerful. Words have power to them. They have the power of life and death. I mean, Proverbs tells us that. That's not a new age thing. It's not a, a trendy thing out there. No. Bible tells us that. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Words. Not medicine, words. He says again, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Some of you in your relationships are in such the crazy, crazy cycle. You need to understand that. If you will change your words, you will break out of the cycles that are tearing at the cords of where you are. I love this verse. Like apples of gold. Now think about that. Don't just read that. Apples of gold, right? So you got an apple of gold sitting on your table in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. What he says, don't let any unwholesome words, right? The word there means cutting. It has the idea of rotten. In fact, it was used to describe rotting fish. The smell, the look, the texture. Our words not, are not to be cutting. They're not to be rotten. They're to be words of encouragement. They are to be words of grace. They are to be words of hope. They are to be words that speak aspirationally into the life of our spouse or the other people in our relationships. Words of, of affirming what they're good at and building them up and encouraging them. So years ago, uh, we, were, we were in the middle of... of the kid raising, right? So we had three of our own. We also raised half the neighborhood. They were always at our house, right? We were in the midst of, you know, raising the church back in that day. Uh, life was hectic. Things were going on. And, and you know, and again, everything w was good. But one day, and I don't even remember if I said my devotion. I don't know. Maybe I was getting ready to preach and I was feeling guilty. So I needed. But it dawned on me. That as wonderful and as beautiful as I think my wife is, I had not expressed that to her in a bit. And so, of course, you want to be careful with this, right? Because if you just show up at the wrong moment when, you know, that, that could turn and go south, right? So I think it was within the next day or two, we were getting ready to go someplace. She comes out looking like a million bucks. And I just, I just looked and I said, you know, you are beautiful. I mean, isn't that sweet, right? Kind. At least that's what I thought I was going to get. <laughs> what I got in response was, first of all, an icy stare. 
And then words that I will never forget. You haven't said that in a long time. And you see, the issue was not simply that I was not communicating what my heart felt. I was actually communicating something that was different than what my heart felt by my silence. Words of affirmation, words of hope, words of encouragement. It's powerful. And, and the reality is that when you do that, then you can speak difficult words. In fact, part of the conversation that needed to happen was, man, I feel bad. I'm sorry. But remember the whole be angry and sin not, trust me. This idea that I had not said she was beautiful was not an instantaneous thought she just had. She had been having it. Okay? She should have had the conversation with me before because I can tend to be a little dense at times, right? Difficult words can be spoken with love when they're spoken with hope, when they're there to not tear down, but to build up. So Tammy and I, in, uh, when we like to veg, one of the shows that we, uh, we often watch are the House Hunters International. Have you ever watched that? Right? You know, and, and of course, it's so contrived. They got to have an issue, you know, but we like to see how people live in different parts of the world. But it's so funny, sometimes about halfway through, we go, well, why are they, why are they buying a house? Because they're not going to make it two years. Funny thing is, during COVID, when they couldn't shoot new ones, they actually did Zoom calls with some, you know, half of them were away. Why? How do you know that? Because of the way they talk to each other. Words of hope, words of appreciation, words of love, words of aspiration. If you know, you are so good at this, and, you know, I just love what you do. They can breathe, breathe new life even in a broken relationship. I, I know you're in it. It seems like, no, no, you'd be surprised. Let me finish with this story. So, have you ever read the book, uh, The Love Languages, by, I think by Gary Chapman, right? Have any of you ever read that? Good book. If not, it's a great resource. You ought to get it, read it as a married couple. But his thesis is this, that each of us has a unique love language, and there's basically five of them. Uh, there are acts of service, that's kind of mine. Uh, there is uh, words of affirmation. There's gifts. You know, some people just feel love when they're giving gifts. For some people, it's touch, and for some people, it's just quality time. Well, of those five, the one that is like my least love language, I, it's just not that important to me, are words of affirmation. And the reason is, is that, how do I put this? I don't struggle with self-esteem issues, right? Um, if people don't say nice things, I got a voice in my head that tells me how great I am, right? It's, it's, it's a... <laughs> It's a problem that God has been working on with me for the last 50 years, right? We're, we're better today than we were, right? 
So I don't, so I don't need words of affirmation from other people. But a few years ago, um, in fact, a number of years ago now, Tammy just started, I mean, she was always not bad about it. It was fine, but all of a sudden I could tell she's just being intentional about being my champion, right? Of just, man, appreciating this or whatever. And, and, and I noticed it. <laughs> and I said, hey, have you read a book? <laughs> and she had, right? She had. It's a book she highly recommends. Most women, when I mention it, hate it because of the name. It's called Wife School. How's that for derogatory? But it's not a derogatory. It's about how you serve your husband. And, and the reason I tell you that story is that words of affirmation really don't mean a whole lot to me. But why I noticed, why I noticed was because how it made me feel. I could feel my chest up a little more upright. I could feel pride. I could feel, wow, she really appreciates it. It's not a huge thing for me. But it, it lifted my head. Words are powerful. And what we're called to do is don't use cutting words. Some of you, the way you speak to each other, you've got to change how you speak. No cutting, but words of edification. And we don't use that word much, but it means to build up. So three things. One, integrity, right? No deception, no lies, no secrets. Some of you need to have some hard conversations. Number two, intentional. You got to tend to the garden. You got to have the hard conversations. You got to figure out the time to how are we going to invest in this? And number three, inspiration. Let me leave you with this. A quick assignment. I know not all of you are married, but all of you in a relationship with somebody, it's important to you. So if you're not married, it could be somebody else. But this week, with that most important relationship that you've got, I want you to sit down and I want you to express to them the things that really move your heart about them, the things that you appreciate, the things that mean, the, the things that you think that this is what they do so well. 